This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, here we go again with the Medicare mandatory reporting requirements. The, uh, the new system coming into effect, especially around the liability area, is, uh, to be honest, a complicated topic, but uh, we need to get our hands around this, and so do you. And so in order to do that, uh, we've asked a special guest to come in here today to explain it to you. Tim Doherty is an advisor at Specialty Risk Services, LLC. Tim has over 25 years of property casualty claim experience, specializing in workers' comp, and he provides oversight on large loss claims, including catastrophic claim management. Tim's been doing it for quite a while, but the thing that's really occupied his time lately is this Section 111 of S.2499. He's going to talk about this Medicare reporting requirement uh, statute. And uh, I know one thing about Tim. He's been out there around the country talking about this, giving seminars on it, getting his hands around it. And uh, I can't think of anybody that's uh, better equipped to talk to us about it than Tim. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me. Well, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about specialty risk services and uh, your role there? Yes, thank you, Larry. Specialty risk services, we're very proud of the uh, leading-edge technology we have in the industry, in the third-party administration industry, our transparency. The SRS difference, we like to be able to say to our clients, is outstanding customer service, and we always like to provide superior outcomes. And my current role is just that. It's, it's helping to advise our clients and customers, as well as external customers and our internal claims professionals, everything they need to know about Section 111 and the mandatory Medicare reporting. Sounds like you've gotten away from uh, claim handling on its own uh, there, Tim, and have focused almost completely on this now. Well, it is an important topic in the industry, and we feel as though it requires that type of dedicated service. So we're willing to offer that. Terrific. Well, I'm awful glad you're doing it. Well, let's talk about that. Who's, who's going to be impacted by these new mandatory reporting requirements? We'll talk some more about the requirements in a while, but who is it that needs to get concerned about all this? That would be all self-insured. It would be all carriers. And it would be basically any claim that has a personal injury associated with it. Workers' comp, liability, no fault. It does not include property damage claims. But if there's a personal injury claim, then this will apply. This mandatory reporting is going to apply. Well, and of course, who is the reporting entity has has become a big issue here. This so-called responsible reporting entity, the RRE, uh, that's an important factor because if that individual or that entity doesn't do the right thing, there's some penalties. So how do you identify who the RRE is? That's a great question, and I wish I could answer it for you. But the federal government has failed to give us exact uh, information as to who they want to be the responsible reporting entity. The information they've provided with us to date is that it would be whoever is in charge of funding that particular loss. Now, that would be either the insurance carrier, the self-insured, 
that is funding that particular loss in that claim file. The federal government wants to know who those individuals are so that they can get that report with the mandatory reporting elements and be able to compare that with their internal data system. So let's say a self-insured has hired you as an as a TPA to be handling their claims. Would it be right to assume that they would want to somehow assign you that obligation or or, or involvement of reporting these these issues, maybe for a fee even, but but reporting so that you take on that responsibility and it takes it off their back? Yes, that's correct. The responsible reporting entity is the federal government has made it clear that they're responsible for the reporting. However, if there is a TPA similar to what specialty risk services does, the responsible reporting entity can assign us as a reporting agent. We house the data so we can f- discover, you're handling our claim files, who the Medicare beneficiary is, and report on those applicable cases that we have in our claim system. Okay. So, assuming we have the right reporting entity that's going to be giving the government this load of information, what is this information all about? What kind of information is going to be needed to be reported under the rules? First of all, there is a um, query system that has been set up by the federal government, which will assist the industry as a whole to determine who the Medicare beneficiary is. That is a topic that was of major concern. Now we think we can get the information we need by supplying social security number, first name, last name, date of birth, and gender in a data file to the federal government. They will, in turn, review their internal system showing who their Medicare beneficiaries are and be able to advise us who the Medicare beneficiary is so that we, we know on that particular claim file that will have to be a file that's going to be reported. And Social Security number is the big item on this list, isn't it? Because it helps match the Medicare beneficiary that, they, that they're aware of with an, ent- with an individual out there that you're going to be reporting on. That right? is correct. That's a mandatory data element. The remaining four elements, they will match three out of four to make sure there was no um, script error. But they have to make sure that they're reporting on the right person. That social security number is going to be critical. Now, when workers' compensation claims, that's pretty much a uh, data field that they have on all their claims. The large opportunity here is on liability cases and obtaining that social security number from the injured party. Just as an aside, uh, you know, with all the issues around uh, security and, and people, you know, people's identity theft and all that, any concern about all these social security numbers being flying all over, all over the, uh, the the web? There absolutely is. And I would say of the two major topics, we, we hit one of them, which is the responsible reporting entity. And the second is that social security number. It's a required data element, and the insurance industry as a whole is reeling and trying to determine the best way to be able to get that information because it is a mandatory reporting element. And we have to find a way to be able to get that information during the investigation and throughout that life of that claim file. Interesting. You know, someone calling up a claimant and saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to help you. Give me your social security number. I can imagine his, that individual is being, uh, you know, cynical or suspect about even giving it out. That's correct. And the federal government has given some guidance on that through, through memos they've issued in the past, but they are still addressing that and hoping to give the insurance industry some type of direction that they can provide so that individuals will feel safe in, in declaring their social security number. Well, even though the government may not have given direction on a lot of these issues, they certainly have come up with some penalties if, for noncompliance on the reporting of these elements. And tell us about the penalty. That is correct. Uh, the federal government continues to stress the fact that all they're really looking for is clean data so that they can research their database to be sure that they're only paying on claims they should be paying on. However, as part of that in the legislation is a $1,000 per day per claim penalty for every day that that reporting, that mandatory reporting is late. So once they start receiving these live data elements, I'm sure the industry is going to start seeing some penalties and uh, fines coming in return. 
Well, that'll get their attention, I'm sure, right, right away. Well, you know, one of the issues, of course, in any enterprise like this is what are the thresholds that, that you can possibly have to help mitigate this? I mean, obviously, if you did it from dollar one, you'd be talking about just an enormous uh, job ahead of you. Are there some thresholds that are going to make it easier? Uh, yes, there are, Larry. And I know that you have uh, done a number of presentations on this. And since the last uh, presentation you had with Peter Foley from AIA, yes. there were thresholds that were issued from um, CMS. First of all, they did issue the user guide, and I would certainly encourage anybody to review that user guide in its entirety, and it is on the uh, CMS website as well as the Specialty Risk Services website. We'll go over in a minute. But the thresholds that were issued soon after that user guide is on liability cases for the year 2010, anything under $5,000 would not have to be reported. That is a TPOC, which is a total payment obligation to claim it, which is a settlement. And then in 2011, it goes down to $2,000. And in 2012, it's reduced to $600. So starting January 1st of 2013, all threshold levels will be re- removed from the reporting requirements. And on workers' compensation, Larry, mm-hmm. the um, they want to eliminate some medical-only claims from reporting, which is really going to help out the industry. So if you have a medical-only claim with no lost time of seven days or more, and all of the payments go directly to medical providers, and the total payments are $600 or less, those cases do not have to be reported to the federal government. Well, at least it sounds like the government's listened to a lot of the uh, concerns and uh, at least raised the threshold for a couple of years to give us a chance to really get off the ground. Yes, that is correct. And a lot of that concession from the federal government was from some pressures that were put on them from an advocacy group that's out there called MARC. It's the Medicare Advocacy Recovery Coalition. And uh, they've done a lot of work in helping with thresholds and helping to push back some of these mandatory dates. Well, they should be commended because that's an important issue. And I think as you go forward in the next couple of years, as things start to settle down a little bit, you're probably going to even get changes to some of these thresholds. Things might even change for the better. Yes, that's correct. We have to be nimble with this issue because there certainly are going to be changes going forward. And having an advocacy group like like Mark, and SRS is proud to be a, a participating member with Mark, having an advocacy group just focusing on this issue is going to help going forward into the future, of no, course. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's talk about what's going to happen uh, when it's time to really start this process. Now, before we even talk about that, in the past shows that we've been doing, the date that was always the doomsday date was July 1st, 2009. And I understand there's now been a recent pushback of that date to give us a little more breathing room. Tell us about that. Yes, we still need to do some analysis on that. But the federal government has just issued on one of their open door forum calls that they're pushing back the mandatory date starting January 1st, 2010 for total payment obligation to claim it. We still have to do some research on the ORM, which is the ongoing responsibility of medical that still might have date requirements going back to July 1st. But the um, registration piece that uh, all the responsible reporting entities are required to do at this point in time started on May 1st, and now the federal government has extended that to September 30th. Mm-hmm. That's going to be of great assistance to the entire industry and all the self-insured employers out there, as well as those with deductibles and self-insured retentions. And uh, the the testing period is going to be extended through the first quarter of 2010, and then the first live files will start going into the federal government starting in the second quarter, starting in April of 2010. And that's going to be the fun time. I can, yes, it is. I can see it happening. Well, let's take a little break right now and uh, come back in a minute with Tim Doherty and learn a little bit more about a very fascinating yet complex issue. This is Ringler Radio. 
legal information, trends, and topics from Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Wrangler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 140,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio. From Ringler Associates, placing more than $20 billion in structures over the past 30 years. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know you could download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Ringler Radio. It's free. This is Ringler Radio, celebrating three years on the Legal Talk Network with topics important to the legal community. Did you know the number of listeners to Ringler Radio doubled in 2008? Thanks to our loyal listeners and welcome to all our new listeners as well. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and with me today, our special guest, Tim Doherty from SRS. And uh, Tim, we've been talking quite a bit now about uh, these new reporting requirements on Medicare for liability cases, and compliance with all this is obviously not an easy thing for the, uh, for the carriers and the self-insureds, even the TPAs were, that you're involved with. How are you helping that process? How are you, how, how are you making it smooth for your clients and for others out there? Well, first of all, uh, Larry, I'd like to commend Ringler Radio for this series of uh, educational sessions that you've been doing around this particular topic. It certainly helps the industry as a whole, and it's important for folks to be able to understand what this is all about because that reduces some of the anxiety. So what we're spending a lot of our time doing is training and educating not only our internal claim staff and our claims professionals, but our account managers, our sales staff, and all of our um, customers out there as well, and all of our clients, because Training and education is important with this topic. There's a lot of misinformation that's floating out there, and as long as we can get them up-to-date, accurate information, I think it reduces some of the anxiety in the industry on this topic. Well, and a little bit later, we'll give uh, people a chance to be able to get a hold of you, but do you also uh, encourage them to do that so you can go out and maybe give seminars and conversations and talks on this subject to to our audience? Absolutely, Larry. We've been involved um, specifically with the uh, RIMS uh, presentations. We we led a conference on RIMS back uh, last year, and also we uh, led a session at RIMS uh, this year, and they were very well received. I've been doing a presentation similar to this uh, discussion we're having today with defense counsel, with plaintiff counsel, with all of our internal folks, as well as all of our um, clients and customers and carrier partners as well, trying to get the word out there to folks so that they have a better understanding of what this issue is all about. Well, that brings me to uh, what I consider to be a very important part of this discussion, and that is some real-world consequences for the folks out there, plaintiff attorneys, defense attorneys, claim folks, who are going to be involved in these in these cases, and what the effect is going to be, what the consequences are going to be on the way they handle claims, on the way settlements are made, on the timing of them, and uh, just the way they're developed. So let's talk about that. What do you, what do you foresee? Let's, let's take one at a time. Uh, let's say the claim individual who's trying to settle a claim that's got closing ratios and, and, and time frames, 
How is this process going to affect the claim person at their desk? It's going to have a rather large impact to folks that are frontline claims professionals because they are going to have to make sure that they have those five required fields we talked about earlier for the query. And then if the claim is a Medicare beneficiary upon settlement, judgment, payment, award, or acceptance of a workers' compensation claim, they're going to need to backfill some 45 data elements that the federal government has required as part of this reporting. So it may take them away from their regular job and turn them into data analysts, which I think we'd rather have those folks handling claims for their customers rather than just filling in data fields. But that's pretty much what this has come to. Well, it also sounds to me as if the the actual settlement process is going to be delayed in this in this way. Collecting information, uh, trying to make things work, uh, making sure all the lean elements are known. So when you go to a settlement conference, for example, or a mediation, if you don't know all those lean elements it's going to really hold it up, isn't it? Larry, that is correct. There are really two components to all this. One is mandatory insurer reporting, which is MIR. Mandatory insurer reporting is the reporting piece. It's the mechanisms the federal government wants to get this data so that they can compare it with their internal data and determine where those payments are and where they should be made and where their liens are. The second piece is MSP, which is mandatory secondary payer. And that piece on liability cases, especially going forward, is going to have a large impact on evaluation, negotiation, negotiation, investigation on these cases because we will have to determine those conditional payment liens, early on discover exactly what those are, and have those as part of the negotiation process as a settlement. But remember, Medicare's lien does not come into effect until after the case settles. But nowhere in this legislation does Medicare say that they'll be part of the evaluation and negotiation process. They will submit their lien and expect to get paid within 60 days of the resolution of that claim file. And now let's talk beyond the lien. Beyond the lien is what's going forward into the future. So you can imagine the scenario where a plaintiff attorney has built, they try to build his case or her case with a life care plan, with, with significant medical issues that may not be, let's say, totally the reality, but, but somehow impacts the value of that case. Now the case settles based upon those inflated medical numbers, I think Medicare is going to be looking for those numbers to be set out there in the future to be paid. That is correct. As, as uh, Take a liability case, for example, where you are settling the case on a compromised basis, and that individual is continuing to require medical treatment. Any of that treatment that is covered by Medicare will have to be included as part of that settlement. So you'll have to have an analysis as part of that claim file to determine what that treatment will be in the future, how long it will go for, and make sure that that settlement includes dollar amount to make sure that those those dollar amounts are paid. That's what we talked earlier and said maybe the best avenue for that would be in the form of an annuity. Well, that's interesting. You know, there there are a couple of things that came to mind. One is coming off of the old, uh, you know, property damage claim, where you'd put the lien holder on the check. Was there any conversation about putting the claimant's name, the attorney's name, and Medicare on the check so that you know none of that money gets spent without Medicare being taken care of? That's correct. The entire industry right now is trying to deal with exactly how to make sure to satisfy not only the conditional payment lien, but also that future lien as far as Medicare is concerned. And I don't know that there's any one distinct way of handling that other than making sure that it's part of the negotiation and evaluation process, that there's transparency in this whole issue so that all parties understand that it has to be part of the negotiation process and included in the final settlement. Well, one of the problems I'm sure is that the plaintiff attorney and the and the, and the claimant gets, their, gets the money, plaintiff goes away with their funds, and if those funds are dissipated without Medicare being taken care of, 
they're going to look back to the to the lawyer, aren't they? That is correct. The first piece to all of this mandatory reporting and to Medicare secondary payer is Medicare going back to their beneficiary and making sure that they are making them whole again and using those dollars correctly. But if that individual spent that money, mm-hmm. we have to be realistic enough to think that Medicare is going to go back to where that money came from, and that will be that claim file. And that's where you say that maybe annuities are going to be a, a valuable asset here to protect some of those monies over the longer term so they'll be there in that event. Absolutely. Protecting Medicare's interests is really what this is all about and making sure that Medicare is the secondary payer, not the primary payer. And utilizing an annuity, in my opinion, would be the best way of doing that where the injured party has a periodic payment schedule that they can use those dollars for to pay for those benefits in the future. Well, what are the before we kind of close here, what are some of the other little tips or guidelines that you've been giving your your clients as they start to approach this daunting task of trying to get their hands around this? Any any things that you come to mind? Yes, Larry. There is a lot of misinformation in the industry on this particular topic. I would always guide people to go to the March 16th user guide, which is the non-group health plan user guide, as well as any subsequent alerts and communication that has come out from CMS. They have all this information directly on their website, and we have access to it on our website as well. So why don't you give someone uh, directions to that website? How, how does that? Uh, how do they get that information off the off the web? Do you have uh, that site? I do. The uh, website for specialty risk services is specialtyriskservices.com, and there is a Medicare link associated with that website that'll bring you to all the presentation material that we have done. It gives you fact documents. It, it helps you through this entire process, as well as provides the links to CMS that gives you the information that you need to be able to make your educated decision and know where to go with this particular topic. Very good. If someone wanted to get a hold of you specifically, uh, how would they do that, Tim? My information is on specialtyriskservices.com under the Medicare link. My um, email address and my phone number are on there, and that would be the best reference material I could I could give. Terrific. I have a feeling you're going to start getting some calls and uh, some emails uh, on this uh, from this show. Uh, let's sum up just for a second here, and I think I think the important thing for the audience to take away today with this segment of. Uh, the Medicare set-aside and the Medicare secondary payer issue is this. There's been a change in the in the thresholds from $600 to an initial $5,000 know, over time. So that's one change. The second change is there's been a postponement of the, the trigger date from, from July 1 to January 1 with some things in between. But those, those are some very significant changes to enable people to get their hands around it in a little more timely fashion. Is that fair? Yes, that's correct. And it's important for folks to understand, to keep current with this particular topic. CMS has done a good job of providing information to the general public and to the insurance industry on this. They have their uh, open door forums, which uh, have been very successful. And you can get all the information on the um, CMS website relating to that. And the federal government is doing their best to be able to get the word out there so that folks understand exactly what these requirements are. You know, what's interesting, even with all this this tidal wave coming at us, uh, there are a lot of people out there in our industry that really are still not quite up to speed on this. Uh, I know that I've talked to some lawyers who really don't sense what's happening. Have you found that to be true? Is it still, we, there's still a lot of people out there that are really 
not as educated as they should be? Yes, there's a lot going on, especially with the economy right now. And, and folks, uh, maybe the focus isn't completely on this topic, but any organization right now that doesn't have some type of focus on this particular topic, I, I think is is in uncharted territory and they might run into some trouble going forward into the future. So my best advice would be to come current with this particular topic. Make sure that your insurance carrier, your TPA, the self-insured is uh, understanding exactly what the obligations are here. And if they certainly need any more information on this, they can contact me and I'd be happy to help them. Well, with that uh, as good advice, I think we'll end the show at this point. If any of you are first-time listeners here, you should know that every Ringler Radio show and all the other shows we've done on this topic can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociate.com, or from the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can actually listen on iTunes. If you go to iTunes, uh, you can download it right from there and uh, walk around with your iPod and, and listen to this stuff as you take a walk in the park. Well, with that, I'll say thank you to Tim Doherty. It's been great. Thanks for listening to all of you. Now go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Prudential.